unfortunately, uh, we saw the, the death of an absolute legend uh, in Lou Reed this week. Uh, obviously, a very, very influential uh, a musician, um, a member of the Velvet Underground with Nico, um, and someone whose music has not only influenced myself, but also influenced many, many filmmakers and a real stalwart of geek culture without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you only have to look at the stuff that came after the Velvet Underground to see how much they influenced people. Um, his solo career was obviously hit and miss with a lot of people. Velvet Underground, extremely popular and probably more popular in retrospect to people than it was at the time. The guy died at 71, a big bucket of win for everything that he did. Um, obviously, created by Andy Warhol in the 1960s, the Velvet Underground were a true influential force in popular music but it was the solo album that he did called transformer that really captured my imagination without a doubt in my top 10 albums of all time and i'm a hard man to please when it comes to my music um as it was said in in, in many articles punk rock lou reed did that before punk rock electronica lou reed did that before electronica noise rock in fact metal music uh, metal machine music did that before anyone else but it, he did it in such a style that at the time, probably most people bought it and thought, you know what, this isn't for me. He was, without a doubt, an example of an individual who was ahead of his time. Um, his lyrics were amazing. His music was absolutely wonderful. He was one of those guys like Bob Dylan or Jimi Hendrix that can literally be said to have influenced every single person that's come since. And, uh, you know, for me, it, you only have to look at the style of the videos that he did, the music that he did, the attitude and his influence on people, you know, directors like Wes Anderson and Danny Boyle have used his music, even Todd Haynes, Cameron Crowe, people like that. So a massive, massive bucket of win and a, a huge, huge loss in Lou Reed. So this episode of the Milking Podcast is for me dedicated to Lou Reed. Welcome to the Milking It podcast, the podcast that tugs the teat of popular culture until it explodes all over your face. I'm Dangerous Dead Man David Davis. And I'm the man from beyond, Boulamont. <laughs> Welcome to episode eight. It's our Halloween special. Uh, <laughs> tonight, um, uh, we, uh, as we uh, approach the witching hour, it's indeed the night before Halloween as we record this. Boo and myself are both your trick and treat as we tug the teat. Um, it's it, geek culture as always, but tonight with a little spooky horror influence. Uh, so alongside the normal chit chat, uh, we will also be discussing the best of horror and the best of things that make us go bump in the night so pull up a chair pour yourself a pint of o2 negative and uh, feel your ghoulies it's the milking it podcast <laughs> i've got the feeling that you're milking it got a hunch that you know you wanna milk it and you know It's the Halloween special, so uh, this is the uh, Halloween slash maybe not so Halloween uh, geek news for this week. Boo, what you got, my friend? Well, Dave, as it is the time of the year when all things spooky are cool, um, mm -hmm. I've, I've got a couple of bits of uh, movie-based geek news to, to tempt you with. Um, first off, let's go with an obvious one. Tim Burton mm. uh, directing a sequel to his 80s classic, the Michael Keaton wonderful movie that is Beetlejuice, but it's going to be Beetlejuice 2, and the man himself, Mr. Burton, is planning on directing himself. 
Yeah, this this surprised me because I, I remember there being discussion about doing a, a sequel. And obviously there was a cartoon series of Beetlejuice, uh, which w- was reasonably successful and it was, was quite good fun. But it, it seems like the, the kind of film that should have had a sequel many years ago. <laughs> um, have they not left it a bit too late, maybe? The for thing a is, Dave, they have been talking about a sequel for a long time. In fact, I... I'm, I'm sure I, I mentioned this to you, not on the show, but in, um, between us as mm. a, a week ago. But when the news of Beetlejuice 2 and Tim Burton, it is old news. It is something we've been hearing again and again since the last movie, uh, since the first movie came out. Mm. And one of the most memorable uh, um, rumours uh, about one of the scripts was that it was going to be Beetlejuice 2. Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. Yeah, which was absolutely that, that wasn't a rumor. That was a hundred percent confirmed by Kevin Smith. In fact, Kevin Smith, um, who will will mention later on, uh, spoiler alert. Um, he went to uh, Warner Brothers, and he was going to be doing. They basically wanted him on board to do the Superman script, which he did, and which never got made. And there's been various podcasts now, and stuff. Now, now, excuse me for butting in, but was this the Superman script that they? They didn't really care how it turned out as long as it had a giant uh, robotic spider. Yes, which later on turned up in... The Wild um, Wild West. The Wild Wild West. There we go. Thank you. Wiki, wiki. So uh, he he did that that script, but they they offered him three scripts. There was one which was based on uh, a TV pilot, which he thought was really good, and he was like, "No, I don't want to write that. It's it's really really good." The other one was Superman, which obviously he took and he wrote, and by all accounts was a really interesting Superman origin story. Um, and but the third one they said to him was, "We've got this other one here, and it's Beetlejuice in Hawaii." And he clearly turned it down rather than the rest of the world who would have gone, no, you had me at hello. <laughs> get, get me on board. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's an interesting one. I, I hope they don't go down the Beetlejuice in Hawaii route. I, I can't imagine that would be any good. Would it really? Surely they've, they've got to stick because what, what are we talking probably 15 years since the original? I mean, just picture it there. He is surfing on a gravestone in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's all about the uh, ukulele. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work, <laughs> frankly. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it's coming back because at least I can still do the impression. But um, for me, I, I'd be interested to see where they go with it. But where, what, who are like? They must all be free except for the oh god, I can't believe the paedophile head teacher from Ferris Bueller, um, uh, uh, Jeff Jones. Mm. Um, (laughs) I don't know whether he'll be in the sequel, but um, but everyone else um isn't doing a lot at the moment. I'm I'm no Winona Ryder's obviously still acting. Uh, Of course, without Michael Keaton, there is no movie. Um, Jesus, who else? The mum from Home Alone. I'm sure she's still doing horror. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, they're, they're, That's why they're, I'm here. <laughs> so <clears throat> what else are these guys doing? Alex, Alec Baldwin as well, of course. Alec Baldwin is a, a, a hilarious man. He's well, also um, three times the size as he was in the original, so I'm not sure that, how they're going to explain that one away. You know, um, he, he, he popped up on the most recent episode of Saturday Night Live with Edward Norton, and he is a very funny guy. Uh, he, he, he is. He's also extremely homophobic, but let's move on. <laughs> really yes. i didn't know that i didn't know that well basically um as, as a straight defender of all things homo <laughs> um fuck you alec baldwin but thank you for the laughs 
<laughs> Fair dues. Um, that well, that leads me on because obviously mentioning Kevin Smith was that um, I saw some really interesting news. There's uh, it, well, okay, we're a podcast, and the reason we are a podcast, the reason we exist, the reason I even started doing this was because I was inspired by. Uh, I explained this in episode one. If you haven't listened to it, because the audio quality is not particularly great for episode one, but if you haven't heard it, then I do explain this. Um, the reason I got into doing this and invited Boo along, and we've ended up trailblazing the, the Milking It podcast across the stratosphere, um, is because of one man, and that man is Kevin Smith. Uh, great filmmaker, uh, d- did some really good stuff in Clerks, Chasing Amy, Mall Rats, um, not so much in Jersey Girl, um, but a great filmmaker who influenced me when I was growing up and when I was going to college uh, and doing media studies and getting involved in that kind of stuff. Uh, but equally so, when I was employed over the summer and um, I needed some sort of inspiration to get off my ass and do something creative, he, he does a series of podcasts uh, which if you if you're into podcasting you must have heard some kevin smith stuff because it's absolutely brilliant um but his big thing was no get on board and do a podcast anyway so step to the side with that one uh he does a podcast uh every week called smodcast and on that him and his producer the guy he's worked with a lot on, on clerks chase name etc uh scott Mosier, they discuss things just random topics it's, it, they were very very much influenced by the ricky gervais podcasts um it, he openly admits it that he, he just likes that sort of chit chat style which is essentially what we do but we have a bit more structure in terms of i geek. believe i believe we're definitely inspired by the smodcast and uh, and possibly ricky gervais's I, mm. I didn't listen to it at the time i saw the animated version that they did and very funny yeah. yeah absolutely so i think you know we, we owe a debt to, to to those guys the guys who went dead. before us <laughs> um but yeah so kevin smith was was all about that he did smodcast and um during one of the episodes of smodcast about six months ago six to eight months ago because he's in the process of doing clerks three which is something else we will discuss in a future episode as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and the influence of Clerks and Clerks 2 and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, we need to we need to talk about Clerks 2 and the animated series, but we'll get there. We'll get there, fans. Yeah, completely. So <laughs> but, so he's in the middle of Clerks 3 and he's waiting for stuff to go through because uh, Harvey Weinstein, essentially, uh, who used to be part of uh, Miramax and then was part of the Weinstein Company, um, they hold the rights to any sequels to the original Clerks because they did the Clerks movie. Um, so essentially, he's waiting for them to decide whether they actually want to fucking make it or not. <laughs> um, so he was like, well, right, while I'm sitting around, I need something else. I need some busy work. I need something to do. So on an episode of their podcast, they started talking about um, uh, an advert that had been placed on Gumtree in the UK. Uh, so it's an advert in Gumtree from Brighton, I believe, uh, of, and I've got to get this right because I, I, I'm trying to remember it from a long time ago listening to it. But so it was a, a guy in in Brighton who was advertising <coughs> for a flatmate. Yeah, he was looking for a flatmate and mm. there were a couple of weird requests uh, from the guy of said new housemate. Now, as far as I was aware, Dave, the rent mm. was free. That's right. Yes. Yeah. As long <laughs> as the co-occupant... Mm. Dressed up in a realistic walrus suit. That's right. Yes. Because the the owner of the of the property had previously enjoyed a friendly relationship with a with a walrus. Mm. He so claimed, that was the proviso. Yeah. He claimed that his the best relationship he'd had was with this walrus while he spent time on an isolated island just outside off the Scottish coast. I think it was. 
So yeah, and it was things like right, you have to spend a minimum of one hour dressed as the walrus. You must make sounds like a walrus. Um, and I think the caveat in the the, the posting was. Um, I, I cannot describe what this sounds like. However, there are several videos on YouTube, <laughs> which always struck me as slightly strange. But uh, so basically, they took this idea, they were chit chatting about it, and, and they kind of developed it during this this hour podcast into what has become a horror movie. So <laughs> it's it's now become real they've actually started doing the post-production on this film which they've called tusk which is based on this gum tree advert which i don't know whether it was a, a, a spoof or whatever that went up there it's never really been said whether it was real or not um but <laughs> but Haley joel osmond who was the little kid as you might remember who saw dead people i six said dead people when all the time there we go uh he he has signed on to to be one of the characters in tusk which is uh which is absolutely fantastic as, as far as i'm concerned that sold me to be fair um it just it's very interesting to see uh, a story or hear a story uh come from conception right the way up to execution and if anyone saw Red State, I don't know. Have you seen Red State, Boo? It's kind of a horror movie, but it's all based around a cult of a bit like the Phelps family in the states. It's um, I'm trying to think of a way of describing it. Um, it, you it mean the the Phelps? Do you mean the Westboro? Westboro Baptist? Yes, yeah, completely. Yeah. So it's it's like it's a very sort of deep South religious thing of them taking over and they've kind of kidnapped kids and everything else. If you've not seen it, I cannot recommend it enough. It's on Netflix for free. It's honestly one of the best movies I've watched in the past two years. It's it's really good. It's it's you you can't even believe it's a Kevin Smith film because it's completely different to everything else. There's no cock jokes in it. There's there's nothing about popular culture. It is just a really good scary movie. And believe me, you will not be able to predict any character that will survive till the end because he kills off anyone he can. It's oh, absolutely. No, I would, I would definitely check it out. I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith films. Who isn't? Um, you know, we're talking. You know, I know we're not. You're talking his horror film, but um, everything pretty much up to Dogma. Mm. Um, I like Zach and Miri. Like, I like, but um, mm. and I like Clerks too. But I love everything that came before it. Love. So, I mean. Um, I'm not going off Kevin Smith, but his earlier body of work for me was just just so good. Uh, Mall rats, um, clerks, and uh, chasing Amy is just brilliant. Like, oh man, there's some yeah, great movies yeah. there. And then of course you've got your Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, which is a great movie in, on its own merits. It's like completely different. It's kind of so wacky compared to the other bit, other movies. Not that they're not wacky. Yeah, but, I um, mean, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back for me was like the Muppets movie. It was sort of the greatest hits of getting everyone together. And oh, I love that character. I love that that character. Here's Ben Affleck doing a little cameo here's whoever doing where's craven doing the cameo and that kind of stuff mm. but no, well, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna check that out and i can't wait for tusk yeah absolutely um another thing i saw which you'll know more than i do about this because you are the self-confessed uh, zombie fan and fan of all things evil dead um bruce campbell has he confirmed an army of darkness too 
Boom! Yes, he has. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll start at the start with the most recent of the news. Ooh. Evil Dead, the reboot, it did very well. It was yeah, quite yeah. well reviewed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was something missing from that movie, and that was Bruce Campbell. He makes Evil Dead movies for me. Well, they are going to bypass, from what I've heard, a sequel to the reboot and jump straight into a sequel to the original Army of Darkness movie, Evil Dead 3, the Medieval Dead, whatever you want to call it. It's probably ah, uh, it's probably my second favourite. I think Evil Dead 2 is still the best of the three. Hmm. Um, but huge, huge news because as much as we love a re- as much as we love the reboot, we want a true to you know goddamn Bruce Campbell as Ash doing his thing. Uh, he said even so, if he has to be in a, like in a wheelchair doing it, like because he's obviously a lot older, mm-hmm. he doesn't care. You know he, he'll do it. And um, so I is, mean, that is, is, huge is news. Sam Raimi involved in this? Or possibly, um, possibly, but I think it's going to be a Bruce Campbell thing. It's another because oh, wow. you know because I, I think what Bruce said was well Sam Ray, you know the, they're off making Hollywood films. Yeah, and you know which leaves and he's you know he's got time to do this, so he's going to do it. So oh, okay. that sounds that sounds like it could be a very and, interesting film. <laughs> and Dave, while we're on the subject of uh, of sequels, it's not it's not a clamoured for sequel because we've had so many bad ones. But the Hellraiser franchise has mm. been kick started back to life. Clive Barker is has confirmed that he's going to write and direct, and that Doug Bradley is going to come back as Pinhead. Um, are you a big fan of the Hellraiser movies at all? Do you know what? It's not going to surprise you because I put the thing up on Facebook. I have never seen a Hellraiser film. You've never seen a Hellraiser film. No. Um, Tell me what I need to watch and I shall. Hellraiser 1, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser... (laughs) Just all of them, sir. No, no, no. No, because, no, Dave. There's six. You need one, two, and four. You with me? (laughs) (laughs) Forget the rest, because they are bad. One, two, four. Right, that's written down. I shall uh, look those up. Hellraiser 1 and 2... um, 80s, early 90s, really, really gory right. uh, and very sexualized. Mm. Hellraiser 4 is an anthology movie. Uh, it's c- because the the puzzle box uh, mm. that's in the movie um, has been around for centuries. And what the Hellraiser 4 is is three stories um, with a surrounding story arc uh, set way in the future in a, on a space station. And it's easily the best of the sequels, in my opinion. Oh, uh, okay. And I, I may be wrong. This might be a classic Boulamont era, but I think Billy Zane might be in it. I can't remember. Oh, um, well, sign me up. I'm sorry. Billy Zane was in uh, Tales Titanic. from the Crypt. <laughs> yes, he was in Titanic. Dave, have you ever seen the Tales from the Crypt movie uh, Demon Knight? No, of course. I don't. How Fuck's many sake. times can I say? David Davis. Horror movies. <laughs> No, Dave. It's um, the first movie from the Tales from the Crypt TV series that was re- uh, that was made uh, with Hank Azaria as the Crypt yes, Keeper. Yes. I think I'm right in saying that. Yep. It might be or Dan Castanella. Which one? Can't it's remember. Hank Azaria, I think. Okay. This movie was fucking awesome. The soundtrack was fucking awesome, and it is just a great movie. And it's more actiony than horror-y, with Billy Zane playing oh, just the most. Um, he was he's the bad guy in it. He plays a demon. In human form, oh man, God just steal, steals the whole fucking thing. Um, but yes, sorry, where were we? Hellraiser, yeah, really looking forward to a new Hellraiser film. So I mean, it's it's a chock full of sequels, bits of news this week. Um, but yeah, so Beetlejuice two, Army of Darkness two, and a Hellraiser coming out very soon. Ah, uh, do you know what? I, I will raise you a sequel, sir. Come, um, come. 
Bring me a sequel. Literally tonight, I've just read this on the uh, Empire website, is that they've talked to Ridley Scott and he has told them there is a script delivered and sorted for Prometheus 2. Oh, now I really enjoyed the first Prometheus. I, but ah, every- really? That, that was what I was going to ask you, because I wasn't sure, because I know I, I'm a massive fan of the Alien films, um, you know, apart from the fourth one, um, obviously, because that was a Josh Whedon thing. Um, but genuinely, I, I wasn't sure. I, I imagined, for some reason, you would not have been a fan of the first Prometheus film. No, I actually stood at the cinema with a group of friends, and I was the only one who was walking out going, man, that was fucking awesome. And they were going, like, nothing got resolved. And I was like, well, it doesn't have to be. Well, do you, no, you don't resolve things in a prequel. No, and I, I, I'm i really glad that they... Have you seen it? Have you seen the first one? Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. That, I like the ending. Yeah. I like the ending. Like, yeah, I, 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 really I thought like it was great. Because it's inconclusive, and I'm like, good, that leaves it open for the next one. And that's one of the only times I've ever been like, good. It leaves it open for the next good, one. Good, yes, yes. That's good. <laughs> bring, me more, bring me more Geiger creatures. <laughs> Create them. <laughs> <laughs> They've got eggs. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely, I, I really enjoyed the first one. I, I, I can't wait for the second one. I thought it was overly stylish, but that's what you wanted because that's How the good idea. How Michael Sheen? Yes, completely. Michael Sheen can do no wrong for me in every film that I've seen. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, as we're talking about sequels and things like this, have you seen the uh, the X Men Days of Future Past trailer this week? I have indeed. I have indeed. Quite excited about that, and not I, as you know from previous podcasts, I am not a Marvel guy, but I'm quite excited about watching that film. Um, it's hoping to right the wrongs that uh, X Men Three um, had because. Uh, they changed director and the story just yes. before it was made X-Men 3. And it was meant to be a lot more epic um, and tie the series together a lot better. Mm. Well, this, you know, obviously is going back to its roots because you've got the original, you've got some of the original cast from the original X-Men movies. Of course, that's the gimmick. You've got Ian McKellen. Yeah. You've got Patrick Stewart. Um, you've got um, Storm. You've got... Hugh Jackman. Um, Halle Berry, yeah, yeah. Halle Berry, even, yeah. You've got all these characters coming back in and mixing with what I honestly consider to be one of the best reboots I've ever seen, X-Men First Class. First class I know yeah. X First Class was exactly that, First Class. It really was a great movie. And yeah. um, I went in looking to hate it, and it deflected everything I could throw at it, hate-wise. If you know what I mean, like I go as a comic book fan, I go into a lot of these films to nitpick, and I know that's I know that's not a good thing to do. It's like I like the Avengers movie, but I preferred um, as a movie, I preferred Thor, um, and a lot of people disagree with that. But that's you know that's just what I'm like. So um, I'm 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 really on board with that. Yeah, completely. I, I can't I can't agree more. I, I genuinely think it looks like a very exciting film. I, I like what they've done with with crossover characters and the, the sort of advertising for it looks really cool. And the fact that they've managed to get back most of the guys who obviously realised, yeah, they need to get on board and be part of the franchise, otherwise they're not going to work. Um, I'm sure Halle Berry is very glad to be doing that rather than the previous WWE movie that she was doing about 12 months ago. But I did I'm... not know that. Hold on, what WWE movie? Because uh, that, that Mr. David Davis will bring us brilliantly onto something else I wanted to talk about. But you go first, which bring, which also ties in with the movie sequels. Go on, though, please. Ah, oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to 
Google that now. But uh, well, yeah, while, while you're googling away, um, talking about WWE films, two sequels. Uh, well, a sequel and a reboot. Um, <laughs> in See No Evil Two, starring Kane. Have you seen the first one? I have had the unfortunate pleasure of watching that first one. Yes. Uh, can I just say, sorry, the, the the one with Halle Berry was called The Call, which oh, actually got quite good reviews, according to uh, IMDb that I'm looking at now. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine. It's, well, it's got Halle Berry and David Otunga in it. So that's going to be shit, isn't it? <laughs> it's got to be. Um, <laughs> has to be. But WWE films have produced a see no evil 2 starring kane um and yeah. again the first film i thought was okay especially because kane was a good he is a good monster he's a good actor as a monster he's been portraying a monster for like how many years now yes and he looks freaky as fuck to be fair yeah and then we've got <laughs> how how could you replace warwick davis with hornswoggle uh in leprechaun the reboot of the uh, jennifer aniston classic Jesus Christ, that's going to be rough, isn't it? Um, by all accounts, he the um, is it? Uh, I, I want to say Darren. Is it Dylan? Hornswoggle's one of Anyway, he's apparently taking it really seriously, and and they're really trying to pull together a decent script. It's going to be more uh, Leprechaun one than uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. Oh, I was I was hoping for a nice reboot of uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. To be fair, but quite good. Um, yeah, but it, absolutely, the, the, the WWE movies uh, leads us into a, an awful uh, cul-de-sac. But uh, <laughs> if we can switch from uh, movie sequels to gaming sequels, they've announced this week about. Uh, we, this seems to be that it's built around what we're chatting about, but it really isn't. It's, it's complete coincidence. Um, obviously, we've been talking about um, Telltale Games. Do you remember them, Telltale Games? Travel uh, Styles Games. <laughs> Telltale Games, uh, we've been talking about the past few weeks because obviously the absolutely amazing Fable-based uh, <clears throat> Wolf Among Us. I don't know whether I mentioned this on last week's show. I finally got to play it, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Fables Episode 1, um, what was it called, A Wolf Among Us? Mm-hmm. I thoroughly yep. enjoyed it. In fact, I dare say I've actually enjoyed that more than The Walking Dead uh, first episode. But we'll see what happens with the rest of Fable. Fables. Well, absolutely. But also they've announced this week the second season, which we knew was coming. But it, obviously there was a bridging uh, for, 400 days episode um, yeah. of The Walking Dead season two, which the announcement trailer looks absolutely brilliant. Picking up on the same characters from the first series. Do you uh, play as Clementine or do you play as another? No, child? no, you're playing as Clementine. So you, you get to continue that. Um, the decisions you made before carry over. So the decisions you made now also influence. It's more of the same. But at the end of the day, when you've got you know that many um, accolades and awards for your series then why would you change stuff to be fair it it just looks absolutely uh, so good for, I, I, i'm i'm on board straight away for that one definitely walking dead season two coming soon and i mean i don't have a lot of news on this but this week they also had the first screenshots from the new game from the creator of resident evil uh called the evil within um <laughs> another another horror fair looked quite gruesome yeah um and obviously as i, I i'm 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 a big fan of the Resident Evil games, so I don't see why uh, why this would be any different. Um, are you are you a Resi guy, David? 
Do you know what? I and I, again, I hate to say this, I have never played a Resident Evil game. Not what? Surely you played Resi Five? No, I've, I've, I, I, I think I played the demo of it, but I never did. I I can't get on with the control system on it. I can't get that turn and walk thing. I just mm. oh, I really hate it, especially after playing sort of more free roaming games. No, not not for me at all. And I'm sure that'll get me a lot of hate on our um, Facebook page. I mean, it has been a, they have addressed it more so in the recent iter- uh, iterations. Six is very kind of free running and shooting. Right. But um, I know what you mean. If you are just used to the third person freedom, uh, then it can be a bit stiff. But um, yeah, so that that's the only other game announcement uh, horror-wise this week I heard of, and that was uh, the the Evil Within from the creators of Resident Evil. Mm, okay. Well, the, the the other one I heard was that the uh, Mortal Kombat movie uh, currently has no director. It's run into trouble, hasn't it? Um, yeah. The director. Wasn't the director the guy that came up with the whole new look and style? Yeah, completely. He's worked on it for three years and has now decided, do you know what, fuck this, I'm going to go and do something else. And um, unfortunately, it's left them without a director to continue this idea. uh, Because essentially it started off as a a web series, which was like a kind of fan-produced thing. Yeah. Was that, that the one? I mean, I did did see clips of it. Um, They've just released a new series. Hmm. And the dubstep music in the fight sections is quite jarring, I find. Um, yeah. It... <laughs> the music doesn't fit. Uh, I know what they're trying to go for, because uh, when the Mortal Kombat movies came out in the 90s, they had the 90s dance music to go with it. And for some reason, it worked. You know, the... Mortal Kombat! That one, yeah. Well, they're trying the modern version with dubstep, and I just don't think... I'm not I'm not being a fuddy-duddy. It doesn't fit. In my opinion, um, maybe I am being a fuddy duddy, but um, yeah, the, the the reboot looked really interesting, and the original video that had um, oh god, didn't someone get German suplex through a glass table? Yes, yeah, absolutely, it was it was brilliant, and uh, if you get a chance to check it out on YouTube, please do because. In terms of a fan vision thing, it's absolutely brilliant. No, I'm, I'm, I was I was looking forward to that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. But I mean, while we are talking on Mortal Kombat, have you have you seen? You, you obviously we mentioned the new series. Did you see that the original Shang Tsung from the movies mm. uh, is playing um, older Shang Tsung in the new Mortal Kombat uh, web episodes? No, I did not see that. That's, that is that's the original cool. actor. It is pretty cool. There's um there's a lot of connections to the to the older series. So yeah, Mortal Kombat's was going to be good but let, let's uh let's hope they can rescue it without the uh without the writer and director well yeah that'd be a, a, a large thing to ask uh, okay t- uh, two more things that i want to mention to you as part of our geek news this week before we get into some uh, more serious topics well not serious but longer topics um the first is uh, d- d- where the hell has beware the batman gone which uh, you know heaven forbid i bring it round to batman but um there has been something happening in the States. Obviously, Beware the Batman has not made it over here yet. I it still was, haven't uh, checked an episode out, Dave, I'm sorry to say. Uh, well, it was a new series. It was on Cartoon Network in the States, and it suddenly disappeared halfway through its run, which is not unusual, to be fair, in the States. If things aren't putting in viewers and it's not doing as well as they hoped, then they do tend to get rid of it. But it is a bit of a shame because I, I've watched a few of the series and it was very interesting. But 
what I need to remember is I'm a 33-year-old guy finding it interesting. I am probably not the tar- target demographic for the Cartoon Network. Um, so th- the idea of it being a very different graphic style, because it's all CG, it's a bit weird, and Alfred doesn't look like Alfred, and you haven't got Robin, you've got Katana, and you haven't got the Joker, you've got Mr. Toad, and don't seem to have worked, unfortunately. Um Hopefully, obviously, I'm sure they have produced the whole series and it will come out on DVD or Blu-ray or digital download and everything else that happens nowadays. Um, and we can enjoy it because it was honestly the first few first few episodes that I watched. I genuinely enjoyed. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like the rest of the world thought that. No, it's a shame. Um it kind of reminds me of back in the day. Do you remember they were going to make a pilot for a Batman cartoon called Gotham High? Did you yes, see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the concepts for that look really awesome. And I'm glad beyond uh, Bat- Beware the Batman's gone a little bit further than that, but it, um, mm. it does seem to be coming to an end. Um, very much like Batman the Brave and the Bold as well. I mean, that was hugely popular, and that only uh, lasted for the two or three seasons um three seasons yeah but it was uh but again that was a an interesting look and i think the way that worked was that it had the humor thing and one of the, the uh sort of editorials i was reading about batman beyond or sorry uh beware the batman was that it maybe didn't have the humor that it needs to have to appeal to nowadays because obviously the new spider-man if anyone's watched the new spider-man ultimate spidey um it's very, very, very tongue in cheek, nod, nod, wink, wink, fourth wall breaking. They even do the sort of family guy cuts to the side to do a separate little sketch and then cut back into the main story. And it's very strange. And that ties us back into Kevin Smith uh, because Scott Mosier, the producer who uh, works with Kevin Smith, has written several episodes of the new Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, because he does have that sort of geek culture reference thing that he can just kind of drop in, drop out. And mm. I've seen a few episodes of the Spider-Man cartoon and it is really good. It's very funny and it works on many levels. I'm sure kids don't get half the jokes that I do when I watch it. But unfortunately, Beware the Batman didn't seem to work. And well, we've lost yet another Batman franchise. You and now we join Jay Hodgkins for this week's Sticky Floor Fun Emporium, which, like the rest of the show, is horror themed. You wanna milk it and you know. Molly Ringwald may be more gum than woman, but I love that ginger bitch. That's because I grew up in the 1980s, the decade that supposedly taste forgot. I would suggest people who say that should look at the footballers' haircuts and the copious, horrendous couplings of brown, orange and green in the 70s and tell me which decade taste supposedly abandoned then. But that's by the by. The 80s were certainly money fixated, which probably explains the production line of horror franchise sequels such as Halloween, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Each sequel pumped out like an unloved council estate child, ever diminishing in quality, with definitive deaths at the end of each movie of lead antagonists Jason, Freddy and Michael Myers tossed aside so more bloody, wide-eyed teenagers can get stuffed upside down in wardrobes or slashed in half after completing their obligatory bouncy naked tit scene. 
Surprisingly, it took a fair while for game developers to catch on to the success of the horror genre, but eventually we got games like this one. Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse is a side-scrolling beat-em-up in the style of Kung Fu or Dragon Ninja, restricting you to a single plane as enemies line up to have their faces smashed in because AI is for pussies. You assume the role of Rick, a parapsychology student who finds himself sheltering from a storm with his girlfriend Jennifer in an abandoned house. A house full of the ungodly demons of hell. Why the demons are all hanging around in a house rather than Hades is unclear. Perhaps someone hit the fire alarm. Entirely possible, what with all that hellfire stuff going on down there. Besides, you know how naughty these demons can be, with their hijinks and their atrocities and their tentacle rape and all. Anyway, the demons kill poor old Rick and kidnap Jennifer because demons are sexist. Luckily, a haunted hockey mask takes pity on Rick's predicament and revives him. While I see the reference to Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, you have to wonder why a ghost would haunt a hockey mask. It's a bit restrictive. What terrible things happen to the ghost that involve playing ice hockey and that mask in particular? Maybe it was the ghost of something like a cold virus. Determined to wreak terrible revenge against the creators of Beecham's Flu Plus or Robus Oil. I digress. So, Rick, clad in his super-strength-giving haunted mask and, for some reason, a sleeveless blue shell suit and no shoes or socks, goes to rescue his missus before the demons have a chance to stick on a Barry White record, get some candles lit, and try and recreate Rosemary's baby in Jennifer's little woo-woo. Like any game like this, it's of its time. It's incredibly simple with a mere four standard attack moves, although this is bolstered with a steady supply of weapons such as shotguns, harpoons and planks. There are some neat creepy touches like a boss fight against a poltergeist manoeuvred furniture set and a hall of mirrors where Rick comes under assault from an evil version of himself. But all in all, it's not too great to play today. Even the gore, shocking at the time, is pretty twee compared to the efforts on display in modern survival horror titles and not just because of the graphical limitations. This one, I'm afraid, gets two fag burns out of five. There's not a lot of horror titles out there. But this is a bit of a shit one. Although, I think it's probably one of the more famous ones. Right, that's it. I'm going to see if Molly Ringwald's still as attractive now, and perhaps do some ectoplasming of my own. Goodbye. Okay, so uh, one of the things that I wanted to chat about, and we did say last week that we would chat about, or maybe the, the week before last, and may I just quickly say, as a side note, thank you to Andrew Carter for uh, coming on board last week and doing a, an absolutely fantastic Mini Milk podcast. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed having the Monster Judas in the Milking It studio, and um, I think he did a, a cracking job. Yeah, absolutely, and, and has taught me the new way to go. I think a, a general chit-chat each week is the way to go, and uh, obviously there's plenty more people like up for mini milks there's plenty more ideas that will be uh, coming down the pipe uh, in terms of things that we can discuss as, as part of the main milking it podcast but uh, yeah thank you to andrew uh, genuinely genuinely enjoyed it and uh, if you haven't listened to it if you're just a person who just downloads the normal uh, milking it podcast then honestly get on board listen to his listen to dino's they're just a different experience uh, a very different sort of vibe uh, but yeah thoroughly enjoyable and um Looking very forward much to uh, getting more more guests on, and we're looking forward to more mini milks, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And but one of the things we mentioned uh, last week was that um, Arkham Origins was out, and heaven forbid <laughs> I discuss Batman in in, in Dave, are we talking about Batman. <laughs> we, <laughs> we certainly are. Um, I realise I talk about Batman a lot. I, I also realise that I am a massive Batman fan, so. 
I'm probably going to be quite biased when discussing this. Um, so bear with me. Uh, this is not anything to quote and put on the post. If you like video games, Batman and wrestling, stick around, folks. Yeah, completely. So this is this is my kind of chit-chat about Arkham Origins. New Batman game came out Friday. Unfortunately, as I keep saying every week when I'm discussing something that's just come out, I've not had a, a huge amount of time to play it because I do work. Uh, so I've, I've had a few hours on it. I'm about 45% into the story mode. Um, and so far, so good. I'm sorry. Um, the reviews have been a little bit mixed, which uh, you'll, again, sound quite familiar about one of us ranting and raving about how good something is when the reviews have been mixed. But... Um, it's really good. The, the story is great. It's um, it is like we said before, dancing with what brought it to the dance. Um, it's essentially Arkham City, uh, polished up, um, kind of expanded on. So it's it's a much larger city to kind of find your way around to the point where you now have to have drop up drop off points for the, uh, the the Batwing to sort of take you around the city. Um, because it is so massive um the, the story is very interesting it's an origin story hence the name people um it's it's one of those where he uh, batman knows all of his villains the, the main villain when you start the game is the black mask um however spoiler alert the joker comes into play as well hence the reason he's all over the advertising for it and was billed as the big main guy because he is to be fair um he drops into the game about halfway through and you you're essentially viewing the first ever meeting of batman and the joker in terms of the yin and yang villains that they a villain and hero that they become uh for me it, it so far so good it's working really well the you know the fighting system is is exactly the same so it, it plays really well um the the environments are really well detailed there's some nice little sort of geeky moments where you go oh yeah fantastic um there's some wonderful wonderful voice acting moments where you just think oh that is a perfect batman line or a perfect alfred response or you know those kind of things um the only said the only thing I'd, I'd, I'd sort of criticize it for is that troy baker uh, troy baker does the voice of the joker and I, I again i think we've did we did we mention this last time on the the milking it podcast i don't uh, think we mentioned the the, the the uh changing of the guard in terms of the voice of the joker obviously we talk about mark hamill constantly hmm. because he is for us the joker but um you said that the new guy is doing his best Mark Hamill impression mm. as opposed to doing his best Joker impression. So um, there are worse places, uh, there are worse voices to steal. But, um, I mean, does he not try and do his own thing with it? The, the issue I have is that he does do his own voice and it's not great. It doesn't sound as good as Mark Hamill. It doesn't sound even as good as the other guys who have done the Joker in the animated series. It really, really doesn't. And, and there's his the only thing he's got nailed is the laugh. So all I can think is he's done those voice auditions 
nailed the laugh and they've got oh yes that's, yes, that's our guy yeah completely so uh, unfortunately troy baker does not impress me as a joker there's there's moments where he veers like literally if you imagine his voice as a, a van careering down the road he veers in the left lane the right lane towards mark hamill there's little bits of jack nicholson there's tiny bits of um Heath Ledger, it's just really confused. And unfortunately, for me, doesn't work. How does it stack up to uh, compared to Arkham City itself? Because I've read a lot of the reviews. I haven't. I'm, I sadly haven't got uh, the opportunity to play the game yet. But the reviews I've read, um, they've been good reviews. We're talking like 8.5s out of 10. Yeah. And they're just saying just out of the three, it's the weakest in the series so far. But it does build upon that that came before it. I mean, it's the first game not to be made by Rocksteady. Is uh, is it in-house now? Is it Warner Brothers in-house? That made yeah, it? it's Warner Brothers Montreal, which, you know, I have no problem with. And I, I honestly, it's, it is to Fallout 3 what Fallout New Vegas was. Now, Dave, you say that, you know, you, you know... Uh, 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 as a private thing, me and Dave, huge Fallout 3 fans, yeah. um, obsessed with it. We like we lived that game when it came out five years ago Ooh. to the day a few Ooh. days ago, wasn't it? But um, I I just didn't enjoy New Vegas as much as I enjoyed Fallout 3. Completely, which is how I feel about Arkham Origins. It's great and it's fun, it's wonderful, and it's the characters I know, it's the it's the controls I know, it's the area I know to the point where there are obviously because it is Gotham City there are complete models of the areas that you've been in before and you know what they were like in the last game but it's obviously before it became Arkham City and was all closed off and went derelict and everything else so it's all pristine and brand new when you go to the uh, town hall it's all wonderful when you go across uh, literally across the road to the church where in Arkham City you, you start the Riddler missions but there's something lacking in terms Sorry, of just, the... just, just before you move on, the church had a beautiful moment in the game where in Arkham City, mm. where uh, Harley Quinn comes careening at you, backflipping, looking like she's about to uh, give you some kind of karate kick. And of course, your instant reaction is just to press the X button to punch her in the face. And she just goes down like a sack. And every time it happened, I just laughed. I don't know why. Not because just because of the way it's set up, it looks like it's about to be a boss battle. And she kind yeah. of does back. She just back flips towards you and then you just hit her once. And she goes down. Well, there's, there's moments like that in this game as well, to be fair. There's those sort of moments of, yeah, in the Indiana Jones moment, I'll call it. Because it's you know, obviously a parody of, uh, of that. But it, it's interesting in terms of the way it's set out. And so far, I have geeked out many times. There's some beautiful set pieces there's some amazing sort of moments in in the stuff they say. It is not as in-depth as Arkham City is in terms of geeking out at the little character moments of, oh, well, we've included the whale or Egghead or, you know, these little pointers that you snapshot and, you, you know, you, you learn about these characters. It is literally a filler game. It's, no. it's filling the gap between this and the new one that Rocksteady are working on that Kevin Conroy's already said that he's doing the voice for Batman for the next game and this, that and the other, which obviously will be the next generation game. Sorry to go back, Dave. Did no, you say Egghead is in, the, is in Origins? No, no, no. Egghead is mentioned in Arkham City. There's a little Easter egg thing about Egghead. So, yeah. Uh, 
played by Vincent Price. Yeah, absolutely. With the, yeah. Uh, with the he, Halloween special. Who was the only person they couldn't get the rights to the likeness of in the new Batman 66 comics. So if you, if in fact, I think it was the last issue or the issue before, there's a, there's a story based around Egghead where they couldn't use his likeness, so they used some generic face for Egghead. Oh, fact. Um, but what I'll say is, okay, so Troy Baker, not as impressive as Joker as obviously Mark Hamill is. It would be really hard to be as impressive as Mark Hamill, in my eyes, anyway. Um, Martin Jarvis returns as Alfred. He was Alfred in the first two games. Um, obviously only a, a little sort of bit player in the last one. There was a couple of bits where he was on the sort of communicator to, to Alfred and Alfred organized the drop and stuff in Arkham city, but um, a lot more to do with this one. You actually get to see Alfred. You get to return to the back cave a few times. Um, you get extra experience points. If you talk to Alfred each time you go back to the, the back cave and he gives you a little bit of advice about stuff. Cause it is very much like first year Batman. He's trying to find his, his feet. Um, the only person that I would criticize, and this sounds really childish, but Nolan North plays the penguin again, and he was the penguin in Arkham City, and he sucked balls as the penguin in Arkham City with, without a doubt, the worst Cockney accent I have ever heard outside of Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. So having lived in the East End for almost nine years, I find it doubly offensive they've brought him back and not employed an English actor to do that voice. So this is the guy who, right, he, he's Deadpool in the Deadpool game. He's played Desmond Mile in Assassin's Creed. He is Nathan Drake in Uncharted, yet they have got him doing the worst accent and just to the point where it jars you out of the game. And all you can do is just stare at this pre-glass-smashed-in-his-face penguin that they present to you, this Oswald Cobblepot cunt, with the worst, absolute worst, Cockney accent you could imagine. And that, for me, was the worst part so far, outside of the Deathstroke boss battle. I had heard that you were having trouble oh my God. with Deathstroke the Terminator. Right. Okay. Calm it for the Milking It podcast. Usa. Usa. Ooh, yeah. The Deathstroke... <laughs> Went a little bit Scarface there. Um, <laughs> Deathstroke Both... Both? Got all dusty roads now. Cockroach. Sorry. <laughs> The Deathstroke boss battle is, without a doubt, one of the most frustrating boss battles I've ever done outside of Darksiders. Um, for me, you should not have a boss battle that after seven attempts convinces you you should not continue playing the game. Told it you, is, Wilson is a badass. It is a ten-minute boss battle where all you're doing is countering. And after having played an hour and a half of the game to get to that point where all you're doing is punching dirty turkeys in the face, honestly, it's just an utter jar. You have not been prepared for that boss battle without a doubt. But yeah, well, I got through it eventually. I'm moving on. I'm now up to, like I say, about 30% through. So far, so good. I love it. And 
as far as I'm concerned, the the criticisms that I've read and the reviews I've read online have been, this is a Batman game. It's not as good as the others, but still, when it's even not as good, it's still better than most games. Now, I look forward to checking out in the next couple of weeks. I mean, it's definitely on my radar. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. So um, on, on your recommendation alone, Dave, I shall check out Batman Arkham Origins. So, Dave, with Halloween just around the corner, literally tomorrow, um, it got me thinking about something that I'd actually rediscovered earlier this year um, that happened uh, around Halloween um, a long time ago. So I'll set the scene for you. 31st of October 1992 on BBC One, there was a 90-minute show that managed to get 30,000 calls to the BBC in the first hour it was shown and and is still to this day one of the most controversial uh, uh, programmes ever to be shown um, on on British TV. Was it a Jim will fix it? It wasn't Jim will fix it, Dave. Um, This is pre-Utree. But uh, yes, so 31st of October 1992... Um, they broadcast for the first and only time that they've ever shown it on uh, on the BBC oh, uh, a little program called Ghost Watch. Now Ghost Watch uh, was Ghost Watch was a was a, a as I said a 90 minute TV show hmm. uh, made as if it was a live broadcast. Uh, you had Craig Charles, um, Sarah Green, Mike Smith, and Michael Parkinson all playing themselves, um, and it was set out as if this was a real live going on and basically the story is it was a house in greater london that was having huge disturbance um paranormal disturbances Mm. there was a ghost that was um scaring the crap out of the family basically and it was turning violent um so this story the the story in it was that this ghost pipes um was the spirit of of a man called ray ray tunstall who himself was haunted by a spirit of someone called mother seddens who um who was a killer in victorian times it gets deep uh, during the course of the program, the, bo- the ghost manifests itself and becomes more and more violent and um, and frequent. And you actually see the ghost in in very short glimpses about five times during this. But um, if you didn't see the bit at the beginning that had the cast list, you would honestly think that this was real. So, yeah, the ghost gets angrier and angrier as the broadcast happens. Um, and then at the end, there's a really memorable conclusion where Sarah Green is dragged um, to her death uh, under, the, under, under the stairs uh, in the house. <laughs> and um, then the ghost appears in the BBC studio, um, takes over, starts um, throwing cameras and stuff around. And then it ends with Michael Parkinson being possessed live on television. Um so this caused a huge amount of controversy because a lot of people watching it were real, mm. uh, thought it was real. In fact, it was the uh, first recorded uh, case of a TV show causing post-traumatic stress disorder in two 10-year-old boys. No. Yeah, so it's um, – Do you? Rem- I mean, I remember seeing Ghostwatch um, when we were having a Halloween party at our house, and I just remember every kid running out of that room scared. I remember one of the guy, one of the kids at school had to have his door – like he wouldn't go to sleep unless his parents had removed his door and their door so he could see like their room kind of thing. But, I mean, it terrified a nation. It was – they had to issue an apology. But um, I've gone back and watched it, and it holds up as a fantastic like horror story. And, and it's so deep, it's multi-layered. But um, mm-hmm. if you watch it, just like as if you were 
watching it back then and thought it was real, it would have fucked you up. I mean, um, I remember being terrified of it at the time. Uh, and I, as I said, I rediscovered it this year. There's a documentary actually uh, available called Behind the Curtains, um, which goes into more depth, which is definitely worth tracking down. Um, so tell me, do you remember Ghostwatch, Dave? Do you know what? I, I, I kind of remember it. I don't, I don't think I... Did I watch it at the time? Possibly. I, I remember the Michael Parkinson thing. Um, of he, him being possessed at the end, and I, I, I kind of remember something about Sarah Green having to come on the next day on Going Live. She did. She had to. Uh, she had to go on Going Live and right, say, "I'm not yeah. dead." Uh, you know, I didn't get killed by a ghost yeah. on on TV. But she was actually was she the presenter at the time. Yes. Yeah. 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 She was. So um, I, I remember that as well. Like uh, yeah, but I mean it, it's fascinating to watch now, um, especially as an adult because it brought back so many memories. And since we were doing a Halloween episode, I, I just wanted to bring up uh, my memories of pipes and Ghostwatch in general. So um, if you guys, <laughs> if you guys remember seeing Ghostwatch, I know we've got a lot of older milksters, so we are going back to '92. Any memories of Ghostwatch on this Halloween uh, episode of the Milk and It podcast? Please uh, put them down. And send them to us at the Milking It Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash milking it. Or follow us on Twitter at Teetugger and tweet those ghost watch memories. You want to milk it and you know. You got to milk it and you know. So this week, unfortunately, we had the tragic news that one of the voices of The Simpsons has passed away. Marcia Wallace, the voice of Mrs. Crabapple. Has, uh, has died age 70 and uh, it was doubly doubly awkward to to read about her passing because they they had made an announcement recently that there was a character that was going to die in the next series that was kind of their hook for getting people involved in the next series of the simpsons yeah totally but they've they've assured us that it wasn't going to be her character so there is going to be another character that dies but um Marcia Wallace, absolute legend, and originally involved in the Bob Newhart show as the receptionist Carol Kester in the States, very well known. And you've got to admit, uh, Mrs. Krabappel, just a, a wonderful character. You know, it's, she's Bart's arch nemesis. Hmm. It's such a shame. And they, are, they have said that they were going to retire her character respectfully. I mean, I think it's unfair when we have to live in a world without the, you know, without the Marcia Wallaces and the and, and the Phil Hartmans. Yeah. yeah. But The Simpsons goes on. And I mean, that's the beauty of The Simpsons. It's been around such a long time that you can have these characters and retire them respectfully, like, um, you know, like Phil Hartman and Marcia Wallace. So, yeah, completely. So, But, well, obviously, with the way we've approached this podcast is that, for me, Halloween means nothing more than the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. And I love the fact that the Simpsons completely changed everything and changed their sort of logos and their entrance music. Entrance music? Entrance music, Dave? <laughs> do you mean theme song? Do you mean theme music? I do mean that. We have just witnessed a live David effort. Which it does uh, happen, folks. Makes a difference from last week. Um, yes. So yeah, the theme music. I always enjoyed the fact that they changed the theme music and everything else. And thank you. I, I must say this now in case I forget later on. Thank you to John Sands for the absolutely amazing job he's done on reworking the milking. Oh mate, how good! How good is the theme music? Completely to the, to the point where at the end of this 
podcast when we when we get to it, it i'm going to play the full length version of the the uh, theme <laughs> i was going to say entrance music again the full length version of the theme music for the milking it podcast that he has done for us for halloween because it is absolutely amazing and a hundred percent thank you john so thank much you john a, a real halloween tweet that's there a real halloween treat for those that tug the teeth there you go <laughs> It's late, ladies and gentlemen, but we're still here for you on the, on the Milking It podcast. Essentially what we're trying to say, a real Halloween treat for those who've tugged the teeth. Indeed. Yes, completely. But yes, so, so yeah, the, the Simpsons Halloween specials that they did, the Treehouse of Horror, for me was the, the way we wanted to try and do the podcast, and I think we've achieved it tonight. Um, so let's talk a little bit about those wonderful cartoons let us talk about the simpsons three house of horror dave i have got so many favorite and um, i mean we'll break it down there's about three or four short stories in each episode yeah. of the tree house of horror um, you know the one episode once a year they started off with the second season um so i mean they're now jesus what are they like the, the, 27 or 28 or something yeah um but yeah, I mean, so many good memories uh, from the Treehouse of Horror. I mean, going back to the very first one, um, my my first memory of the Treehouse of Horror comes from the first episode where they did a, a reading of The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe with mm. Art playing The Raven. Nevermore. Yes, yeah. But um, I mean, you, obviously, do you remember the early ones? You find the early ones? Yeah, I, I remember the Raven. I remember um, the stuff that involved the the um, the aliens. I can't even think. Hodos of and Kang. Kang. Yes, I remember those. Um, I, I, it kind of came for a time where I didn't really have Sky that much, so I didn't really get to see them a lot. But I remember them being very dark. I remember the the, um, the intro sequences being very very dark. And now, obviously, they've gone to the point of involving like horror directors to yes, do this this year Guillermo del Toro uh, directed yes, the couch game yeah. which is extremely dark mm. it was the 24th uh this year apparently ah okay but um but yeah i mean still still moving on to i mean um, still earlier ones uh, see uh, the treehouse of horror 5 had one of my favorites the devil and mr simpson where uh, we find out that ned flanders is in fact satan <laughs> genius it is genius um where are we i've got to go um there was one of my particular favorites was six they're all my favorites i say that every week one of my favorites they're all great um i wouldn't talk about them if they were weren't um episode uh treehouse of horror six um had the shinning uh, a retelling of the shining yes um which had the classic line all work and no play it make homer something something Yes. Go mad, don't mind if I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, and also in that episode, <laughs> Willie catches an axe to the back three times. <laughs> yeah. In each one of the the stories. Um, then um, talking of Willie, we had Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace from um, Treehouse of Horror Seven, which was basically the Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff. Um, what? Uh, one of the uh, the best comic book guy appearances ever um, in the Treehouse of Horror 10. Desperately zeking Xena with Stretch Dude and Clobber Girl. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Awesome yes, yes. source. Um, and um, 
one of my other earlier favourites was I Know What You Diddly Did, um, where you had Ned <laughs> Flanders being bitten as a werewolf, uh, by werewolf even, and um, the, the Simpsons thinking they killed him by running him over, but uh, yeah, he was a werewolf really. Um, and also on that same episode, a Ned Heavy episode, that one, they, you had the Ned Zone, which was uh, a rip of Stephen King's Dead Zone. The, the movie had Christopher Walken uh, in it, which is, um, mm. I, again, some more horror tingly stuff for you for you people to do. I mean, uh, Treehouse of Horror had a comic book series as well. There yeah. was uh, there was action figures. There was Playmates action sets and McFarlane toys actually released for um, Treehouse of Horror play sets as well. Um, very popular episode six and twenty three were nominated for uh, outstanding uh, an Emmy in outstanding animated programming. Uh, I can't actually remember if they won or not, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I love the Treehouse of Horror and they've been getting a bit more uh, high high grade as as they've been going along. Um, as you said, they've got like more Hollywood directors involved than um, in recent years. They've had a lot of celebrity voices as well. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I thought I always enjoy the Treehouse Horror. Mm, absolutely they're always a highlight for me i must have i think there were it always surprised me how much they got away with in terms of the the visuals and what was going on at that time of night so yeah absolutely the simpsons treehouse of horror big bucket win When he wasn't smearing himself all over Peter Venkman's face, neck and chest, this guy had some serious issues. It's Slimer's background bollocks. You wanna milk it and you know You've gotta milk it and you know Have a good look out the window. All those lush green leaves are fallen to the earth, dead like all your summer romances, your tan and your chances to let from afar at underdressed women too young and attractive to ever experience the magic of your flesh wand. It's autumn, bloody autumn, and with it Halloween, a time to celebrate the hilarity of manipulating children to believe that their lives are under threat from some unimaginable horror. Hooray! So let's do a theme backstory bollocks to celebrate. Let's talk about one of the most iconic ghosts in movie history, Slimer from Ghostbusters. This transparent green goo ball is chubbier than a child featured in a tabloid article about benefit scroungers asking for a bigger house for them and their 27 siblings. How did this slime slopping spirit come to be? Let's pull apart the butt cheeks of fictional history and stick our hand in up to the elbow and then pull out the artificial truth and plonk it unceremoniously on the floor like a shaky-legged newborn foal. Slimer was not always known as Slimer because that's a ridiculous name to call a child. Even those kids who had perpetually running noses at primary school weren't called Slimer even though they should have been. No, Slimer was born Mark Aloysius Athrel Smythe in 1895. His family, as the pretentious double-barrelled name indicates, were a wealthy sort, owning a large amount of land in Herefordshire. The stately home of the Athrel Smythes had 125 rooms. This was more rooms than anyone in the world would ever need, and the family had run out of things to do with the rooms by about room 75. Put it like this, the 83rd room from the front door was exclusively used as a place to teach falcons to touch type. Mark was a spoiled child. He demanded food, toys and attention endlessly, and he bloody well got it, the little shitbag. He once forced his parents to pay scientists to invent the Nintendo 64 a full century early because he didn't want to wait for it to be released. He didn't wash either, and his entire sock drawer contents looked like it had been gang-raped by a mighty legion of horny snails. What a disgusting little shit. 
Unfortunately for young Athel Smythe, his gluttony and laziness eventually caught up with him, just as a young man's thoughts turned to women, which incidentally for me is when I watched the Miller Kunis Natalie Portman muff wrestling scene in Black Swan. Despite his vast wealth, no young lady would find him attractive. That's because he was a fat little cunt. Depressed about how his similarly aged peers were getting to feel the velveteen wetness of the mossy doop-doop lady cleft, and he wasn't, he took an ill-deserved trip to New York. His plan was to hire a loose, hosiered, fiscally motivated good-time girl to break his sexual duck in the plush setting of the Sedgwick Hotel. This is where poor Mark lost his life and became Slimer. Yes, indeed. He indeed lost his virginity in a way that was so spectacular that the fat fucker died. Details are scant of what he did in room 426 that snuffed out his naff little candle. All that remains is a list of requirements that he gave the hotel reception staff. A list that may give some clues to his eventual demise. They are a fedora, a bottle of Bollinger, a dirty hoe, a garden hoe, Thundercats ho! a copy of Peter Shilton's Hamble Maradona in the Sinclair Spectrum 48k, a damaged thermometer, cashew nuts, a giraffe pump full of sedatives, a pop-up book of Kazakhstanian erotica, an aircraft carrier, three tons of marmalade, a picture of Cindy Lauper menstruating into a Kermit the Frog mug while sobbing, a tin of mints, and the crankies. And so it came to be that the spectral testicle came to haunt the halls of the Sedgwick Hotel in New York, before his encounter with Ray Stans, Peter Venkman and Egon Spengler in the mid-1980s. Given the cause of his demise, it makes you wonder just how much of the slime he left on Bill Murray was actually ectoplasm. Next week, something equally defamatory and horrible. Goodbye. You wanna milk it and you know. Now, David, with this Halloween thing um, happening tomorrow, I thought I'd just go through a couple of my uh, watchables for Halloween. I know you're not like a massive horror guy, um, but there's just a couple of movies that I'm going to be not even checking out, re-watching. They're in my collection Mm. um, tomorrow night. Um, First of all, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Right. You ever heard of this one? No, never. Honestly, educate me, because I am not a horror fan. Basically, they find this uh, artifact in a church in, I think it's Los Angeles, Mm. and um, long story short, it turns out to be the embodiment of Satan, and lots of fucked up things start happening, lots of possessions, um, and and it's like classic John Carpenter, you know, it's his music, it's his style, um, Prince of Darkness, and it's it's 80s-tastic, mate. Um, and then the most watchable of all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, mm. um, it's, the, it's the one, um, again, I know you don't watch a lot of horror films, but it's set in a uh, children's mental asylum. Do you know this one? No, no, absolutely. Again, I've, I've never seen in, a Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> okay, if you were going to watch any of them, I'd recommend this one. It's the Dream Warriors. Um, I think it's Dream Warriors. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, and it's it's just a really good movie. It's... Um, mm. It's 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 a great horror film. There's it's and all the actors pulled together. It's got a young Lawrence Fishburne in it. Just uh, and everyone really pulls the pulls their weight. It's a, like easily the most, as I said, the most watchable of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. And um, a bit of a weird one that I often get a, a weird look at is uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Now this is this is a bit different. Now I know you know the Halloween series is Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, Halloween Three has nothing to do with Michael Myers. 
You see, oh. the original concept for the Halloween movies was um, a different – I think it was, again, John Carpenter – um, and he was going to do a different story each year, like a yearly anthology and called them Halloween. And the first one was Michael Myers, and that proved so popular that the studio said, no, we want another Michael Myers one instead of a new story. So he agreed to do it the second year. As long as the third year, he could do his anthology thing and do a different story. Mm. Well, the, sto- uh, the story in this is um, – it's, it's awesome. It's uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um, basically, there's a company called Silver Shamrock, and they've released these Halloween masks – and um, when kids watch it in front of this TV advert, it sends a subliminal message to the mask, which kills the child wearing the mask. What? It, it's it's a crazy concept, but and it's a guy, and it's about a guy trying to shut this down. Mm. Um, it's it, again, it's a really strange horror movie, but um, it, it's it's good and it's memorable. Um, mm. Did you manage to catch the cabin in the woods lo- uh, last year, David? No, I did, I did not, obviously. You're not a fan of Joss Whedon, are you? Um, it's not that I'm... I, no, because I am, to be fair, I, I appreciate it, the, the stuff that he's done, but I'm, I'm concerned that, that I'm coming across as a complete wimp now, but I'm not a horror fan. I, I genuinely I avoid horror movies... Which is why I put up on Facebook on our uh, forward slash milking it um, site. You know, recommend your horror movies because I the stuff I've watched, I've enjoyed. I like Child's Play. I like the, the you know the, the various things. Okay. Exorcist, I love and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't seek out horror movies. Okay, Dave. Well, check this out. I'm going to recommend two films to you okay. that are. are, are kind of like horror films but not in fact one of them is like a reverse horror film i'll explain when i get on to that one but the cabin in the woods is pre- i think it's produced by joss whedon it does start out as traditional horror fare mm. however there is a twist for the second act that is completely mind-blowing it changes the course of the entire film it changes the genre of the film right it is such an i'm i'm not going to spoil it for anyone if you haven't seen cabin in the woods check this movie out because I kind of I quite like the first hour. I watched the the second like th- um, I think it's like the last three quarters of an hour. I then went after I watched it. I was so blown away. I went straight back and watched the last forty five minutes again because there was just too much to take in the first go round. It's not traditional horror fair. Mm. It's it is so, it's just so different to anything that's been made before. I don't want again. I'm, I don't want to give too much away. But I, I, I highly recommend Dave, especially you check out Cabin in the Woods because it's it's like a meta horror movie, um, <clears throat> but it's so uh, like I didn't know what the big twist was when I first watched it, and I was stunned. Like you know, I was blown away. I just thought it was awesome. So again, check out that one. The second one uh, is is the reverse horror film. Now um, this is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. This movie is about two kind of good old country boys uh and they they i think they bought a cab uh, they bought like a, a cabin in the woods and they go up to to, to um to decorate it and to, to renovate it but there's a group of teenagers who come up and the teenagers think that they're killers mm. but they're not they're actually just two good gentle old like you know like good old country boys so and it's a it's more of a comedy than a, than right. a horror film. so it's like a reverse horror film because it ends up with tucker and dale trying to run away from these kids and it's obviously <laughs> if you see what i mean it's kind of farcical in a way 
but it's a really great movie. Again, just a cracking film for, for for Halloween as well. So just a few of my personal picks for this year. Um, so that was Halloween Three, Prince of Darkness, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, uh, Cabin in the Woods, and Tucker and Dale versus Evil. So on. I hope you all have a, a, a spooky uh, Halloween. And um, Dave, I know you're not a big horror guy, but just some things there that you might actually enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to get on board. I'm going to look those up and I'm going to try and have myself a spooky old Halloween. So that was the Milking It podcast Halloween special. <laughs> I hope it, it, it. I hope you tug the teat and grabbed you by the ghoulies. I'm David Davis. And I'm Boo Lamont. And we're going to leave you with the brilliant full version of the Milking It podcast theme tune, Halloween version by the brilliant John Sands. So we hope you'll join us next week and have a happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> what a knob. <laughs> Look at the moon. Yes, don't worry, I know what I'm doing.